Do you have a website, an external presence, employees, an office? Any of these things can be compromised and attacked. How are you defending these assets? Have you penetration tested these public assets? Start 2017 by taking a proactive approach to securing your vulnerable areas. Black Hills Information Security has been helping companies find their weaknesses since 2008. Email consulting at blackhillsinfosec.com and see how they can help you sleep better at night. Hey, welcome back, everyone, to Startup Security Weekly. I'm here with the illustrious, illustrious Michael Sant'Arcangelo. It just flows from my tongue now. Your name is just Michael Sant'Arcangelo. I know. Do you remember? We used to have to get you drunk to say it. Yeah, yeah. It only took me 54 episodes to have it, like, truly be natural. Yeah, we've been doing this a couple years, man. I enjoy it. It's all right. I like to be illustrious. It's better than having luster, right? I need to get some pancake makeup and uh, fix it. It looks good. It's not, the lights aren't shining off it, like from the top. Yeah. I keep trying different lighting setups. um, And makeup. (laughs) I I do a lot of makeup. I've got girls. Makeup is my thing now. That's right. I like it. You just let them do your makeup. That's cool. Mm -hmm. I can, I can totally picture that actually. Oh, I would do it. Yeah, I hope they don't. I hope they don't watch this because they'll be like, "Dad, you said we could do it." You said cool. we could. Yeah, put makeup on you yeah. now. <laughs> Dad said you could. Dad didn't actually mean it. He was just being funny for a TV show. <laughs> he's he's a little different. Uh, uh, oh, this is great. I I miss talking with you. We haven't spoken like since the last show. So I know we both are busy this week. Right, we talk about this all the time. People are like, yeah. "You guys must talk all the time." If we could, we would. We I would. I would yeah. love that. Well, it's a short um, week, right? Labor Day. That was. Is this the Labor Day week? It was, and yeah. I spent it laboring outside. Yes. So. As often you do on, on Labor Day. Um, but you've got some articles here, Michael, we're going to talk about how to change a prospect's mind. Yeah, we're going to go all over good. the board here because there, there was some good stuff that I found over the last couple of weeks. We kind of pulled together. So the first one, how to change a prospect's mind when they tell you I'm good. I want to use this from kind of two perspectives. Um, the first one is why we tend to say that. So we've talked before about the books that we like. And of course, we're big on Play Bigger right now. We are going to get into brain audit at some point, and then we're going to get into never split the difference. One of the things that you hear never split the difference is, is the fake no, the false no. And there's, a, there's an interesting thing here. There's a lot of times somebody said, oh, I'm good. And they either do that because they just want you to shut up and leave, um, or they actually genuinely believe that they're good. Now, the problem is there's a lot of times in our industry that – I mean, what was the number? You know, I keep seeing it 50, 60, 70 vendors that the average CISO has to try to manage. Mm-hmm. You, you can't do that and, and maintain any sort of sanity. And so what's happened a lot of times is on the security front, people will say stuff like, oh, I'm, I'm good. I don't need anything. I, I've actually read opinion pieces from CISOs that will say, I'm the CISO. I'm in charge. I'm smart enough. I'll know what I need and I'll tell you. That's jarring and alarming and completely wrong. If you have that opinion, I beg you to reconsider it. But at the same time, we have all been inundated by those endless phone calls. Paul and I have talked about this probably on air without naming names because that's not that's not that show, right? Enterprise Security Weekly names names. We we try to be nicer, but man, Paul, you and I we've been to some conferences and the people keep hammering us. We're like, did you? Did you check to see who we were? In fact, how the hell did you even get our numbers? Like, yeah, what? it's it's kind of. I don't get. Still? It's interesting. I don't get. I get a lot of emails. I don't get a lot of phone calls. A lot of emails trying to pitch product and in, in, in webinars and stuff like that. And so I can see the CISOs getting really burnt out because oh my goodness. one reason is a lot of those communications. I'm like, you're not even reinforcing the problem you solve or the point of view on that problem. Bingo. Like you're just, you're just, what are you sending me? And so I can totally see CISO and everyone else in the security community 
myself included, being kind of lost when it comes to figuring out what people do and how they solve my problems and what problems they solve. And, and it's, so, it's an everyday struggle that we have to go through to get and there. And so somebody grinds you down, right? They've sent an email. They've sent an email. They've offered you this. They've offered you that. They make a phone call. They stalk you on social media and finally you go, fine. You know, or it's a moment of weakness. You pick up the phone, whatever. And they're like, all right, so I can help you do something that makes no sense at all, whatever. I don't even understand it myself. But what do you think? And you're like, nah, I'm good. Mm. Now, the problem then is, let's say that you're actually like Gary, that you're, you're doing something exciting that, that is, is potential to be a game changer. Mm-hmm. Not just because, right, we're going to talk about MVP at the end of this, it, where we sometimes see companies that get really excited, and I'm sorry, folks, but you're, you're excited about something that you solved, but it's not really applicable. No, let's say that you've got a track record. You're helping people, and you're really excited. So the challenge that we consistently face is, well, then how do you get past I'm good, mm. right? You fought to it. Now you've talked to them and they're like, wow, that sounds great, but I'm good. I mean, I don't need it. I mean, I, in fact, what I would also hear a lot is, man, our industry totally needs that. But, you know, I'm good. <laughs> now, I think there's two reasons we do that. One, because I'm not really sure what you're doing and I really don't like being sold. And I I don't know if I trust you yet. That's, that's mm. some level what they're saying. Yeah. Same yeah. thing they're saying too is, I'm good, right? What, one of the things, if this is not just insecurity, but it's very pervasive insecurity. If I say to you, right, oh, I, I, a lot of people say, well, I, you know, I think coaching insecurity is really important, but I don't, I don't need a coach. I'm, I'm good, right? I, I think that's really important in the sock, but, you know, I don't need that. We're good because we say, well, you know, I fought. That baby's not ugly, Michael. Exactly <laughs> what it is. And, I already fought for the budget. I got the budget. I said I wanted the SIM. I got the SIM. You're telling me you got this new thing? Whoa, hold on. I asked for the money. I, I can't go back again. That's going to make me look incompetent. Yeah. I'm going to look like a failure, and that's bad. Right? And that's reinforced insecurity. So, so I get where that mentality comes from. By the way, if you're listening, every time I talk to a CIO, a CFO, or an executive in the suite that has the ability to do this, and I say to them, let's say you just approved the budget. I don't care. It's a million dollars. It's $10 million. And I've got a better solution, and I come back to you. Do you want me to pitch it to you, or do you want me to shut up? And I have never had them say anything other than pitch it to me. It's my job to make those decisions, not yours. If you've got a better option because you've learned more, you bring it to me. And and then we'll Michael, figure out what to do about it. I, I have a question for you. So why aren't budgets more problem-focused rather than solution-focused? Because we come up to this all the time, right? Like, oh, I don't I don't have budget for that category of product products or that category i have budget for this but that that's not you so but i'm like but they both they could solve a problem better they could solve a problem that you actually had versus one that you perceived you had and once the budgets are carved out i feel like people's hands are tied to actually solve problems in your organization and not only that reach the goals that you want so why aren't budgets more goals based that is such a great question, and, and, and uh, I'm going to have to go back, listen, take some notes, and we'll come back through it. I'll give you a couple of thoughts off the top of my head real quick. First of which is, in fact, you just said something. I'm going to start here. We feel like once the budget set, our hands are tied. Mm. Eh, wrong. It never works that way. We have all been part of projects that went sideways, and suddenly you're losing budget mm-hmm. because it's got to go pay for something else, or someone else has this new initiative, and you've lost budget to go do that. There's always there's the difference between budget and funding. Funding is what's available in order to go pay for something. Budget mm-hmm. is whatever they allocated Allocate. to you. Right. Just because you don't have budget doesn't mean you can't get it. Somebody might even want you to believe that. 
total rubbish. If you've got the ability, especially if you can demonstrate value, this is why I focus exclusively right. on value. No, I, I if will you say can show Michael, me it's going to solve the problem mm-hmm. valuably, then then you can make a case for it. I'm I'm all about defending this in the sense that if a solution is going to take up a, a percentage of your overall budget, in other words, if you have a security budget and a solution that solves a problem is going to take up 80% of your entire budget. Yeah. You know, either I can see your point, right? Like you're just you're not ready yet or whatever or you've done a really poor job structuring your budget. You know, yeah. there's two sides well, to that. But sometimes it's just legitimately like you're just not ready for my solution because the solution it could take up conceivably 80% of your budget. You're just not ready. Right. Or or when you start looking at budget, if you look at OPEX versus CAPEX, mm-hmm. your operating expenditures, your operating capital, you don't have enough headcount. You can't get enough headcount. It, it's just not simply going to work. Yeah. I'm not saying budgets are bad because, you know, the other thing to keep in mind with budgets is it should help you baseline, for example, how much you pay on copiers or supplies or right. access or consultants or whatever else. And so it, it helps you understand where things are in or out of skew. Now, why then are budgets not problem focused? Why are they solution focused? Because solutions are sexy to us. Because I can I can lobby for the category that I think exists. I can lobby for something called a SIM. Do, why do I need a SIM? Because it'll help me solve security stuff. Okay, right? Well, what does a SIM cost? I don't know. I need a million dollars. Great. Give you $700,000 in the budget. Right, because that's how this type of crap works. And if you go look at it, there's a, a concept um, I've written about it before, uh, and I, I was thinking about writing about it again. It's called zero-based budgeting. It is a tedious exercise. I think it's great. I don't know if you need to do it every year, but the idea is pre- pretend you had nothing, mm-hmm. and you have to justify everything in your budget, everything that you want, zero-based. So you're starting with zero. You've mm-hmm. got nothing. Tell me what you need. Tell me why you need it. Because what I find happens a lot of times is, is we treat budgeting like a big old negotiation. Like I come to you and I say, I need a million dollars. You go, cool. I'll give you five hundred. Okay, I need a million point too. Good, I give you four hundred. You know, it's like it's like watching Pawn Shop, right? You know, or Pawn Star. Yeah. You're, you're trying to negotiate that type of stuff out, and then we feel hamstrung by it, and we got to reallocate with it and everything else. So a lot of times we say, "I'm good." I'm just going to bring it back to the article for a second. We say I'm good because I don't know where it's going to fit in my budget because yeah. I've already spent my budget because I don't know who's got the funding. I don't really know where it fits. And by the way. I, I, I'm working 60 hours this week. I don't completely understand everything you said to me, and I, I can't give you any more time because if I go spend an hour or two with you, then uh, now what that means then. And and so the second page of this article has really good stuff here, and I'm gonna I'm gonna point something out, and this is exactly what you and I talk about all the time. Their language is you have to give them a compelling reason to stay in a conversation with you. You've got to show me a material difference. Uh, I disagree. I think what you have to do is you have to answer what problem you solve and you have to isolate it and elevate it expertly so that when they hear that, they go, wait, what? And then you have to be able to follow up immediately with a quick statement of value. I don't mean give me 30 minutes on a whiteboard. I mean, you got like 30 seconds. How are you handling X, Y, and Z? Or we do X, Y, and Z. And by the way, we do it. So he gives an example here. You know, um, my clients increase their sales minimum of 20, you know, 10 to 20%. Okay, that's pretty cool. So he says, I'm good. You know, he said, all right, I got two ideas, right? One is you go, just good. You're not fantastic. I mean, my clients generally are doing 10 to 20% over what they were doing last year. Are you you at that point? The other thing you get uh, is you go, really, I'm surprised to hear you say that. uh, So you're already getting 20% annual sales growth. Now, here's the thing. Security folks are jaded. So whichever side of this you're on, I get it because you feel like you're being set up for a game with it. Um, What I've done, frankly, with a lot of people and he's got an answer here too, I think it's very interesting, is somebody will say to me, like, I'm good, and I'll say, well, that's awesome. Uh, and I'm not trying to be a dick about it. I'll say, most of your peers don't feel good. Where are you at? 
Like what, what's different for you? And then, and then you start having a conversation. What you find sometimes is they really are different. They, they have a completely different approach, a completely different mindset, in which case you say, yeah, you are good. Keep, keep, keep on keeping on. That's awesome. Uh, you know, and then sometimes you start to uncover that they're not. Now, what he talked about here was, you know, he's like, hey, I, I've got this $3 item. Guy's like, yeah, we're good. I don't have any space left. He's like, well, how about $5 items? Wait, you got $5 items? Well, I need $5 items. Okay, cool. Well, let's work that out. What, what he's talking about here larger is you need to be able to listen, right? So it's about relationship. If you're going into this on either side, purely transactional. I, I've got this widget. I want you to buy this widget. I've got this widget. I want you to buy this widget. I don't care what you're saying to me. I got a widget. I want you to buy the widget. My whole goal here is to get you to buy the widget. Yeah, nobody likes that. But if you're really going in there and saying, I, I understand this industry, I understand you, I understand where you're at, I can help you. One of the things that I've been looking at more is, uh, in fact, this, we'll talk about this on our journeys, just trying to help people understand where they're at, giving them a fair uh, assessment, uh, a, a quiz, a couple questions they can answer, but that they can answer honestly. And I've, I've done this in the past with leadership. And, you know, Paul, I've learned something really interesting. Um, in fact, what I really learned interesting was I, used to, I talked about foundation versus competencies. Now, I've simplified way down in terms of straight talk, but even if I look at just the, the three questions of the value proposition, right, what problem you're trying to solve, what value to create, what impact, I find a lot of people will struggle just that first one. I have a nine-point rubric that we can answer real quick. We can score you out real fast, and uh, I find that's enough for people to like, no, no, I'm good. I'll go, awesome. Let's score that. Let's score it out, and then, and then they, they either go, um, no, thanks. Okay, well, then, look, you're not going to be a client, and that's cool, or they say, yeah, let's do it. I'm, I'm really curious. And so what I do first is I take them through the rubric and I say, does, does this resonate with your experience? Did I, did I get anything wrong? And they say, no, this is, I love looking at it this way. Okay. I say, great. Well, let's, let's go through it. Let's score you up. And then they start looking at it and they go, um, okay, so, I, so I'm not really good on, I, I didn't really isolate the problem. All right. And I didn't really talk about the consequences. Uh, okay. And I, I didn't really list out the solution. Uh, Okay. I'm bad. And then the, I'm bad. <laughs> well, they do, they do that. You know, I, I have this too. I, I have the same thing for communication. People will say, oh, I'm a really effective communicator. And I'll go, that's awesome. You know, I've got a model that helps break it down. Now, if I say, Paul, I'm going to score you and see if you're any good or not. Well, no, that doesn't work. But when I introduce the model, I've had people come to me afterwards and say, oh, okay, so I'm, I'm not as good as I thought I was. And, and again, my answer is always the same. But now you know. Now you know what the elements are. It, it, you can get better just because you're aware of it. But by the way, if I can help, let's let's go talk about it. I think that type of stuff works here. So the point of bringing this up is when someone says I'm good, they might be brushing you off. They might also actually be good. But but the way to get around it is not, is not to challenge them like, oh, yeah, well, BS. Everybody says that. You're probably not really good. I mean, you know, like, like you probably say it, but I'd probably kick your ass. Like what? But I hear that all the time. Stop. If you really – want to get through somebody, you have to offer them value that they can't get any place else. You have to show them that you understand the problem. You can elevate it. You can isolate it. You can capture their interest. And, and if you can do that in a way that resonates, because it's a problem they actually have, and then you can quickly show them that you can solve it in a way that creates value, right? That's a value proposition. It's a promise that you can solve the problem in a way that creates value. Most people will keep talking to you. By the way, then, and this is why the value prop is so important on both sides, if you're on the enterprise, you're that security leader listening to us right now, and say, oh, Michael, but these, this crap I hear from these people all the time is mind-numbing. Yes, that's why we're teaching you about value prop. Look, cut them off and say, all right, listen, my time is, I give you five minutes. What problem do you solve? What value do you create? What's the impact of your solution? Answer it. When they can't answer it, then, then you know that, good, five minutes later, you've wasted no time at all. By the way, when you then go ask for project funding because <laughs> you really like it, you better be able to explain what problem it solves, what value creates, the impact mm -hmm. of the solution. Uh, when somebody comes to you and they, they want a new project internally, 
uh, or your team. In fact, we're using value prop now with teams. I've started to see this with teams, Paul. Everybody's trying to make their budget requests, right? And I, I can't tell A from B and oranges from tangerines from apples. And so what I say to everybody is, well, let's just go use the, these basics. Make the value prop case for it because now we're all using something consistent. Oh, totally changes the budgeting process. Mm-hmm. So that so the point here too is like when you read stuff like this, don't just ignore it and say, well, I, I'm not a vendor. I don't need to know it. No, no, go, go read it because if somebody can actually – show you that they can solve your problem in a way that adds material value to what you're trying to do, frankly, you're a fool if you don't listen to them. And that's why we keep showcasing innovation on this program. There's some really cool solutions out there, and, and they're really exciting. All right, let's let's go a different direction for a second. What do boards actually do? So I've been on a couple of boards, and what I've always noticed is people have a very, uh, they have a very skewed understanding of how boards for startups work and how boards for uh, public companies work and how uh, for boards for uh, uh, different things operate and work. And then, of course, in security, sometimes we see that the boards are very active, almost as in the people are like, well, I'm on the board. So I've done this. I've done this. I've done that. Whoa. And I was listening to it and I go, that's that's not what a board's supposed to do. Here, here So uh, Mark Schuster's got a, a great bit up here about what boards actually do. Uh, I'm going to – this is good. I'm going to just sum it down this way. The, the board – the board has uh, oversight, has governance responsibility. So, so, the, so there's always a distinction between execution, right? The, the executive team, the administration, and then the governance, right? So if you break it down to basics, it's administration and governance. Board is governance. The board is not there, right? So if you think about it a lot of times, basically the, the CEO reports to the board, right? The, the boss of the CEO is the board. And in fact, the way a lot of companies are structured is it's the CEO that has the contract with the board. And then the CEO maintains the contracts with the rest of the employees. Now, the board typically is consulted in, in some hiring and firing decisions. And, and as you get larger and more complicated or in a more highly regulated environment, there are certain fiduciary and, and legal responsibilities that the board has. But, but ultimately, the board is responsible for the health of the company and the protection of the shareholders. They're there to represent the shareholders and to make sure that, that, that the executives are executing their jobs properly, faithfully, legally, and in the best interest of the company and the shareholders. That, that's it. They're not. They're not there to. Well, let me one more piece. If you're smart and you build a good board, or you attract the right investors and you attract the right people to your board, you get fantastic advice. You you you. So you can get somebody like this or the other thing. People they they say the word this board and they have this monolith expectation of what a board is, and and this is why it always drives me nuts when you hear people say, well, you know, if you're going to present to the board, you got to pretend that they're stupid and you got to break. No, no, stop. First of all, stop with all that. Second of all, no, A, they're on a board. They're not stupid. B, they all have really different experiences. Every board I've been on, I, I've always felt like I, I've got nothing in common with everybody else here. By the way, you want that on a board because if you've got a challenge, you actually want someone in the board who's got some experience and then can mentor you or can provide those insights or ask the right questions to make sure everybody else is doing their job the right way. Now, do you have problems where the board is in conflict with each other? And that just creates a nightmare for the chief for the chief executives and the executive team. Also, yes, which is why you got to think about some of these things differently. But you know, the, the big work is is they review budgets, they review compensation plans, they they review um, some hiring firing decisions. And in typically, like if you're wading into an area that might get you into legal trouble, um, or it just you know you need to be aware of things from regulations and compliance perspective. That's the board's job. Make, make sure those things are met and that the, the health and the long-term vision of the company uh, is in order. By the way, then, as an aside, since we're talking about security, this is why 
the boards and the executive teams may have different perspectives and different needs when it comes to security breaches. The board has got to look at the health of the overall company. The executives have got to look at keeping the lights on, keeping operations going. And, and so they at times may be in conflict with each other. If you're in security, my advice, stay the hell out of it. Not, you know, it's, it's you report to the executives. You have to answer the questions of the board. But don't ever make your executive look bad. It's a really bad choice. But uh, so it's this, this, he's got more and he's got really good insights on, on what boards do and don't do. And, you know, they're not evil. They're not. For the most part. Yeah, there's probably some evil ones. There's also some evil executives, but Michael, what are the, people are the price of admission. Short this sounds short this sounds piece. shady. It. Like it does. People, like human um, trafficking kinda. <laughs> like this is bad. Yeah, it's, it's funny, right? Just, so this is Brad Feld. Um uh, Mark and Brad, uh, they have they share a lot of insights on the industry. Uh and, and this one caught my attention. Actually, it's funny because you wrote that, right? I mean, I, I wrote something in Gary. So Gary uh, did a slap shot with me this week on uh, how we're slowly, or maybe uh, are you quickly stamping the human element out of the sock and out of security. Mm-hmm. Uh, people, it's not a surprise, right? I, I, I put people in a center. I like to elevate people. It's really important to me. So I read something that says, people are the price of admission. I go, huh, that's interesting. Point here, Brad's been doing a lot of writing lately about uh, VC differentiation. It doesn't matter. And, and whatever else. And he basically says, okay, look, here's the deal. You know what? If you get through some of uh, the filters that we have, that we invest in, the, the type of companies, the types of locations, the seed round, the, the, that, the basic stuff, then, then you know what? I have three questions that I ask. One, do I have an affinity for the product? Because if I don't understand it, if I don't like it, we're not going to do it. We see that in Shark Tank all the time. Folks, I love what you're doing. I don't like the product. I don't like the space. I'm out, right? Are the founders obsessed? Now I like this. Not passionate, but obsessed about what they're building. He said, passion is easy to fake. Obsession is not. Wow. Yep. Highlight that passage, folks. Think about that. you got to be obsessive about this. Um, You've got to believe in this so much because, frankly, as you know, Paul, when you're doing a startup, when you're running a business, when you're in security, let's just – People are going to keep knocking you down. They're going to point out when you screw up. Like you've you've really got to believe in this stuff, and it's it's got to just exude out of you. Mm. Uh, and then and then this third part, which I really like, is you know, do the founders want us to be investors in their company as much as we want to be investors in their company? And they're like, look, if the answer is no, right? They just want a paycheck, cool. But then that's not a good fit for us. Mm. I, I've often told people, right? So if you're watching this program and you're like, I don't even understand investing, you if you're applying for a new position. And people have said, well, should I ask them questions? Hell yes, you should ask them questions. Do you want to go work for them? Well, they're a big name. I like them. It's a good paycheck. Do you like the people? Do, do they like you? What, is, is this going to be a place that you're going to feel comfortable? Are you going to grow here? Do you, do you really want to be there? You have every right to ask them those questions. I mean, there's a way to do it, but you have every right to ask those questions. I encourage people to really think about it. And his point here is, look, it comes down to people. Do I like the people? Do I like what they're representing. Do I feel comfortable with them? Do they want me as much as I want them? It's a relationship, right? I talk a lot about connection. When we do straight talk, right, we go forge those connections. I don't believe that you can be successful in business. I don't think you can be successful in life if you can't connect with people. It's about connection. What's interesting, I I heard a story where uh, folks working the support desk had scheduled bathroom breaks. And sometimes at three hours at a stretch. I don't even know if that's legal, let alone embracing the aspect of how important people are to your organization. It terrifies me. Yeah. It's awful. That's, yeah. That's like so, not even funny. That's terrible. Can you imagine going for that interview? You know, b- by the way, um, you get uh, two bathroom breaks a day and 30 minutes for lunch. And if you're late, you get fired. Like, oh, great. Well, sign me up. I want to be there. Yeah. So it's 
point is, and I'm, I'm going to do a slight twist on this. He said that his dad used to say people are the price of admission, which means if you want to go get involved in something, evaluate the people first. Mm-hmm. All right. So, so two points to this. First of which is I have I, I've, I've shared with people. It's, it's been what I call my summer of awakening. And I, I've gone back and I've looked at a lot of things in my life, um, uh, both you know, personal and, and professional. Paul and everybody listening, there's a lot of times I've done something because it sounded good. It's, it's the equivalent of throwing good money after bad. Mm-hmm. I didn't evaluate the people. I didn't evaluate the situation. It sounded good. Someone sold me a bill of goods, and I, I ran after it. Spent a lot of time, a lot of energy, a lot of money on it. Now, I like to look at the bright side, and I go, look at how much I've learned, right? Very stoic of me. I've learned, and I've, I've understood, and these scars are great. Yeah, it's good. I mean, look, we all make those mistakes. But what I, what I realize now is I'm much more discerning about people. Um, the second thing, then, is this works in both directions. If you're in the enterprise today and you're looking at the startup, are, are those people that you want to work with, are, are they are they going to support you? If you get them that lift that they need, if you help them get some of that traction and some of that proof, that's what's going to help sustain them to get to their next round of funding and build the company successfully. They're going to be there for you. They're, they're the people you want to talk to. They're the people you want to call at two in the morning when everything is breaking loose and you're pretty confident they're going to be there for you because an obsessed person would totally do that. But then flip it around when you're the startup. Don't chase bad money. Oh, they're there. Oh, they'll pay. They'll, they'll write a check. It's totally awesome. No, it's not. No, you've got to like the people. You've got to like the people you're working with. They, they've got to, they don't have to have the same vision as you. And they certainly aren't going to be as passionate or obsessed as you are. But you've got something special if you do. You want to be around the right people. So people, people matter. They're always going to matter. I'd be completely shocked if someone convinced me otherwise. But I, I'm an open-minded person, so I think so. So the, the point is, you know, look at look at people. You know, and his point here is we have these other filters first. Like I don't look at the people first. Um, and I think that's probably worth it, right? I mean, one of the things that we listened to with Gary was we solve this problem in this environment in this particular way. I mean, basically, you know, when we get to brain audit, we talk about building a target profile. They went out, they talked to people, they asked them questions, they understood the problem. Okay, they built a very sharp, very smart target profile. They understood it. Cool. They got a filter. If somebody gets through your filter, then you can evaluate them at that level. I just, I think it's worth it. So, I don't know. Any thoughts on that? Commodification of SaaS? Commodification. Commodified? Commoditization? Commodified. Let's call it commodification. I like that. I don't I know if it exists, better. but it's Commodi- a new word. Commodi- commodified. You, you modified. Commodified. <laughs> it's a Commodore 64-ified. So, um, so here's the idea behind this. Um, you know, we, we've talked recently a couple times. Elizabeth Yin had a piece uh, last week or the week before. We talked about SAS. And in um, the last couple months, we've we've looked at the the. Frankly, I think the remarkable impact that Amazon AWS and, and other things have had on um, lowering the cost to startups and, and therefore impre- improving scalability and, and it's kind of changing the funding landscape, it's kind of changing everything else. Every time this happens then, somebody at some point will say, well, hold on then, isn't it just commodified, right? Is, is this all commodity now? I mean, so every, if, if anybody can be a SaaS and everybody's a SaaS, then does it even matter anymore? And, and so what's interesting is, um, and again, right, Tomas is, is writing some great stuff. So, uh, so he basically says, okay, so A, uh, is this true? Yep. Uh, and B, uh, is the customer acquisition playbook well known? Like if you have a SaaS, like is there a way to do it? Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Yep. And then he says, so then does that mean that the cost of acquiring a customer has risen? Also, yes. 
yeah, okay. And he says, so does that mean you should be disappointed? And, and he said, no, and here's why. If you can't sell it, it's not a good product. You right. get washed. That's great. By the way, if you can sell it, that's awesome. That means you've actually solved a problem, right? This is where you and I spend our time looking at it. But he goes another level. He says, so wait, because this, because the barriers are so low, because the hurdles are all there, that's absolutely fantastic. And we want that. We want more of that. Um, and then somebody will come up with a new playbook or they'll change the market. It'll do something else. I need to be an example. Um, early on, you and I got podcasting around the same time. You, me, Martin McKay. Um, there were a couple of people who did it. And I don't know if you ever did, but I used to go to the podcast um, expos, or I can't remember what they're called. And and uh, at the time, one of the guys I had worked with back in my Anderson days uh, was at Yahoo doing their podcast stuff. And I remember sitting down with him and, and lamenting. I was I was kind of like, to be fair, I was a little snobby about it. Like you know, kind of like you, I pay attention to the gear, I pay attention to the microphone, I pay attention. Like so, I was trying to produce a high quality program with good sound and good audio and everything else. And here, all these other people are just jumping in. And I was frankly kind of bitching about it. And, and he stopped me and he said, you, you're not getting it, Michael. You want more people. You, you want this to be a commodity. Oh, yeah. He's, because, because then you've got a bigger base of the pyramid and the better stuff will rise up. So if you're really better, awesome. By the way, other people will be better. That's going to push you to get better, which is going to be great. Now, what I think we've seen happen in podcasting, which is really interesting, is that the all the major brands, right, all the network, all the people with like fantastic experience have jumped in. Um, and I think the reason you do so well is that you've made those same investments. I mean, we've got a professional team that helps put all this stuff together, uh, which is great. We haven't figured out how to make me look better on camera yet, but I, I think that's a genetics thing. But, but I don't know, know if we it, can solve that with technology, Michael. I, well, I, you know, we got to do like the snap. Was it Snapchat that has all the filters and stuff? Yeah, uh, yeah. That's what we yeah. Need. So we just we need to put like dog face on me or something. It'll be really cool. I, th- I think the point here is. Uh, don't don't cry about the fact if somebody else has done it. You know, I, I get this sometimes with people who come to me for writing advice, and they'll say, "Well, but someone else spoke on this. Someone else wrote about this." Yeah, but they weren't you. They didn't do it yeah, your way. Just because everyone else is doing it doesn't mean you should be doing it too. And I think your example with SaaS and the example with podcasting, people are, "Oh, well, that's that's the commodity thing now. That's the thing to do. We should all do it." Like, no, like really, some solutions really. I've heard some great use cases why they shouldn't be offered as a SaaS solution, and. I've seen some things that, man, you, you tried it as a podcast, but you might be better off with some different medium. So, Yeah, and, and but what's great about it then is that now um, you know people will try it, and, and they'll get like five episodes in, and they're like, guys, this is a lot of work. How, how do you guys do this week in and week out? And you're like, yeah, it, it is a lot of work. You know, and cool, thanks. And, and so, yeah, so same thing with SaaS. You know, if, if you're a startup or you're buying it, it doesn't matter that's a commodity. No. Does it suck because there's going to be so much more stuff to wade through? Yeah. By the way, I'm going to just go back to value prop. The, the companies that can come in and they can articulate for you cleanly the problem that they solve, they can elevate that for you, they can explain consequences, and their solution sounds like it fits your solution or your situation. Great. By the way, then, you need to be pretty clear on the problem you're trying to solve and what your consequences look like and the type of solution that you think works, or it may be the things you could disqualify out. It's more of an impact question. And if you could do that, you're, you're going to save a lot of time as you figure out those fits and they make it work. All right, last piece on this then. Uh, MVP paradox. You know, we haven't talked about MVP in a while. So it's minimum viable product. And typically when we talk about this, I talk about minimum viable security. Today, we're not going to talk about minimum viable product, but I am going to change it a little bit. And, and I still like minimum viable product, but I might say also start to think about it as minimum valuable product. Uh, when you take a look at it. So Eric Reese, he's the guy that he wrote Lean Startup. He's done a lot of work around this. Here's his definition of minimum viable product. It is that version of a new product, which allows a team to collect the maximum amount of validated learning about customers hmm. with the least effort. 
So the idea here when you do an MVP and, and um, you know, an example that stuck with me out over the years is if you look at Uber when they started it, and I, I might get this wrong. So just stick with the, with the idea of it. It was what Uber black car, right? Whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, like in order to be a driver, you had to have a black car or you had to have, I don't know, Chevy Tahoe, whatever it was. You had to have yeah, this. It was in like two cities, three cities. It only worked at certain times. It only, it only had certain stuff as is very specific. Well, how about now? I mean, set aside the problems that they're having from a management perspective. Just look at how it's changed the way that that we leave airports and we navigate cities and we do all sorts of stuff now, different than we did. Uh, you can do carpools. You can do uh, – it's, it's tons of options. Why? They were very disciplined. They had a minimum viable product. We can do this in these cities this way. That's it. And they learned. Because of what they learned, they were able to grow. And the idea here – and I really like this, and this is why I said you can call it – a minimum valuable product, the main object, I'm quoting, the main objective of the MVP is validated through learning about the business value. Thus, it is an experimental business process rather than just a minimal product development process. That's so important because I see a lot of people say, I'm going to slap together an MVP. And, and when they tell me that, I say, cool, what business problem are you solving? No, 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 Michael, it's MVP. No, no, we're, we're just going to get it out the door and then we're going to see. And I'm like, wait. You're going to get it out the door, and then you're going to see? Did you ask people what problem they're trying to solve? Did you, did you figure Wait, out? Whenever, it, whenever I hear people say, well, we're just going to get it out the door, that's a red flag. Right? It scares <laughs> like, me. Use yeah. the word just and like get it out the door, and you're talking about software or really any product? Like That's kind of scary. Just Now, to, now to be there. fair, I, I, have, I, I have a newly acquired bias for action. Um, I think I've always had it. I just I realized I... I would say it, and then I, I would act fast, but I was still holding myself back. And, and that's that whole notion, like, if you if you feel good when you shipped, you ship too late. Like, mm-hmm. I, I want you to be a little nervous about it and get it out the door a little quicker. But to your point, Paul, yeah, we're just going to get it out the door. We're going we're gonna to throw it out there and see what happens. Okay, well, I'm going to predict to you what happens. What you find is kind of interesting. Is it has the top 10 reasons startups fail. It's got this great chart here uh, from CB Insights, which is a, a source we could take a look at. Number one reason, no market need. Number two reason, ran out of cash. Yeah, that MVP is that that reality check. So if, if you tell me you're going to go spend eight to ten months building an MVP, then I don't think you understand MVP, number one. And number two, when I say to you, then who's going to pay for that? You say, well, I'm not really sure yet. How is that going to make money? I'm not really sure yet. Okay, what problem are you solving? Well, people do this other thing right now, and they, they're using Excel spreadsheets or whatever. Okay, and are they going to pay you to not use an Excel spreadsheet? Well, I don't know. Good, good luck well, with that. <laughs> then you're not building an MVP, right? Like, yeah. like you. Like, it's so that's the point. There's more here, and he lists out a bunch of the traps um, and and the people. You know, they want to save money. We're going to go fast. We're going to get it out there. You know, we're really awesome with it. Everybody's going to love it. You know, and and it's interesting because I'll I'll see it like there's this great thing here, like how to build a minimum viable product and how to not build a minimum viable product. And, and, you know, and it talks about, you know, um, wheels and engines and, and chassis and, and what you add to it and not add to it. And, you know, and I kind of watch people, uh, I see a lot of mistakes here uh, and I see a lot of mistakes in the briefings. And I, I think it's important for people to take a look at it. This is a really good article. It's good enough that I actually, uh, spent some time taking a look at it, um, more than we're going into it, and I'm actually going to read it again later. So this is one of those things. Um, uh, come check out the notes on the wiki, take a look at it, and I think that you're going to see it really good. So anyway, uh, those are my thoughts for the week. What do you think? Fantastic. Let's dig into the most active cybersecurity investors. 
Yeah, this is interesting. Um, so PitchBook. PitchBook's one of the sources I, I've really come to enjoy. PitchBook tends to take a look at private equity as well as taking a look at, at venture capital. And they, they cover cybersecurity because it's it's one of those fields where we get a lot of unicorns. So they they've um, they put up this – they worked with somebody else. I can't remember the name offhand. But they basically looked at all the data that they've got and they said, look, you can drill into it and you can go and you can look at a region or stage or whatever else. It'll tell you who's active, who's investing, what they're investing in. Uh, I spent a couple minutes playing with it. I thought it was interesting. Um, the reason I think these things are interesting then if you're in the enterprise today and you're watching this, you go, Michael, I, I don't care. No, you do, actually. You you want to get a sense of who's out there and the problems that they're solving. Because if you're trying to solve the same problem and someone else has got that or they're working on that, those are the folks you want to go champion. Those are the folks you want to talk to. Those are the folks, uh, you know, and if they're early stage uh, versus late stage versus growth stage versus seed stage, those those things are interesting. Um, I'll start going through it. Like I, I'll see if there's anything interesting that comes out of it. Um, might be some good guests for us or some things to talk about. But I just... Thought it was interesting. Haven't seen it before, and it's focused on cybersecurity, so I thought I would share it out with us. The only real update this week, Forge Rock. Have you come across Forge Rock, Paul? Uh, vaguely recognize the name. So it turns out Forge Rock, uh, they do digital identity management. It's a platform, but they're more in that consumer space. So that, that's really interesting. I had to reach out to some of our uh, – and, and I can tell you off, offline who they were, but I didn't ask them for permission beforehand. But I reached out to a couple of folks in the industry. I'm going to try to get better about doing that now uh, when we do this. But uh, So Fordrock, $88 million Series D, $88 million Series D. So Series D's growth. That means that they their, their product market fit is tight. Their unit economics are good. That means they understand what they're paying uh, and what they get paid and, and what the value in the marketplace is and, and how to make it work in a way that's useful. So an $88 million Series D – uh, for something that's consumer-facing, using cloud, using IoT, that's – I mean, you know, if Matt Alderman was with us this week, he would probably nod and say, well, it's table stakes. Um, and I, I agree. I mean, you know, I, I think, you know, $40, 50000000 million and up, $88 million Series D, it's, it's pretty realistic. Uh, they've been around since 2012. I didn't see a seed listed. They've got $140 million raised over four rounds. The rounds have been pretty consistent. Um, here's the thing that I kind of take a look at. So cloud revived identity. Uh, and it made it top of mind again, and it made it more complex. So there's a lot going on in the identity space again, because now we have people that are going out to cloud. We are uh, we are supporting our vendors, and we're we're supporting our clients and our consumers. And so what uh, what Forge Rock has done is they've figured out how to play in more of that uh, uh, more of that consumer style space. So what's interesting is I threw up uh, the TechCrunch article here. And one of the things he called out, which is interesting, because I, I made a comment like, you know, if you if you go to the Aller page and you, you take a look at who their competitors are, like I didn't see, for example, Ping on there. Um, and there are a couple others. Uh, like I didn't see SailPoint on there, right? So SailPoint's going to be more enterprise. Ping um, is more consumer, does some enterprise stuff as well. Yeah, no, they're both they're both competitors to it. And so the CEO says, hey, look, this is setting the stage for us to IPO. I think that's great. I think it's possible he might be able to do that. But if you think about the size of the space and on that consumer front, if you go look at the other people that are on an hourly chart, man, these, these guys are, are out there. And when I ask – out there in a good way, like they're leading the pack. And, uh, and when I asked my contacts in, the, in, in that space, you know, what do you think of them? They all said love them. Great. Good, good team, good vision, good people, big fans of the work that they're doing. Uh, and so, so what I would say is I think it's smart to say this sets the stage for an IPO. We're, we're the market leader. We're the player. We're going we're gonna to IPO. It's going to be great. 
Yeah, you're also just as ripe for what I mean, Symantec has been, and I don't completely understand why they're doing this. Symantec's been saber rattling all week. We got another big acquisition coming. Stay tuned. We're making a big acquisition. You're you're gonna. It's it's. We're ready for it. It's gonna be like when Oracle bought PeopleSoft or whomever. Like it's you know like they're they're kind of like that level of it all. Um, that's not gonna happen here. But but my point is, 150 million raised. You're not out of the realm of the multiples where you know you're gonna get acquired. Um, it, you know, it'll still be a really healthy multiple, but but I wouldn't be shocked if they still got acquired by one of the the dominant consumer facing companies. Um, you know, or yeah, or the IPO, and and they're going to start collecting up other people, and they're going to really consolidate that side of the space. And given the number of pitches I'm still getting for um, we're going to change identity, we're going to get rid of the password, we're going to do this, we're going to yeah. I mean, I, I think there's opportunities here. So um, congratulations to that team and. Um, I'm going to actually, I'm going to start trying to, as we cover these folks, Paul, I'll see if we can't get them on the program. So um, maybe we'll get that opportunity here. So awesome. That's it. Wasn't really a big week. Like, you know, not terribly active. Mm. All right. Uh, straight talk journey stuff for me. Uh, it, it's been great. You know, it's, it's uh, kids are back at school. I've kind of got my head down. Uh, a lot of people have asked me if I'd be willing to do any coaching or advisory. And uh, one of my advisors said to me, he's like, well, you, know, you said yes, right? So the answer is um, yes. Uh, it's limited. Um, I've, I've put a lot of thought into what I think works. And, um, and so over the course of the next week or so, I'm going to do a couple things. We're going to launch the program. I'm telling you guys ahead of time because this is our journey. So here's the way I'm looking at it. I have a whiteboard full of ideas right now and what I think it can look like over the next six to 12 months. Uh, over the next month, uh, anybody comes on board early, I'm going to give them a, a really good price to lock in, a couple extra benefits and bonuses. And I'm trying to look at a way that we can elevate our industry. And, and so I'm doing things like figuring out target profile and everything else. It's going to be an opportunity we'll talk about next week. I'm going to do go do a bunch of, uh, of interviews, and then I'm going to create a report, and I'm actually going to share that information. I'm also keynoting a conference for security leaders about security leadership uh, in October. So we're going to roll some of this in there, and in fact, I've already offered to do some uh, some private coaching while we're there. Nice. So uh, we'll get a chance to qualify for that. So it's, it's kind of interesting. Which Paul, conference is it, that, Michael? It's um, it's EC Council's CISO mm. conference. Okay. Um, it's the one that they run in conjunction with Hacker Halted. But yeah. This one's pulled off to the side. I got you. Uh, and it's you know it's it's um, I, for, unless I sound too easy, like I'll, I'll work with anybody. Like if you tell me you want to elevate security leaders, like I'm in. Like I, I'll do it. And uh, they they've been really generous to me. I, I have not worked with them before, and I've I've really kind of enjoyed the setup to it. So um, and in fact, Paul, I'll be there. So if there's anything I can do, maybe we should talk about that a little bit uh, okay. off off camera here. I also then the other request I've had a lot is for people they just wanted a one day workshop. Um, and so I've, I've spent a lot of time looking at the last six months of what I have and haven't done, and I figured out how to put together a one-day workshop. And um, and I've got a couple of people now that I'm working that through, but I got really excited because I finally figured out, oh, wait. In fact, the, the funny part was I thought that my best benefit would be for the startups, and I still work with startups. But a lot of the enterprise folks and some of the folks who watch our program have reached out to me and said, I want you to come in and help my team. That'll help us internally sell stuff better. That'll help us focus on the right stuff. We're going to prioritize our focus better and we're going to get better results. And gosh, we want some of that. How do we do that with you? And, and it, to be fair, it took a couple calls and I finally went, oh, there's an opportunity here. I've made stuff so much simpler. Like I'm excited about that. And then um, and so I've got a bunch of updates and that's also on my whiteboard uh, that I just looked at that you guys can't see, but so it's good. So stuff's been going well. Um, I got some updates coming um, for writing and um, that will come later. Just wanna let people know there's gonna be a change in terms of um, when I'm writing and where I'm writing and how often I'm writing. Uh, and that should be in place, I'm hoping by October. So lots of stuff going on. 
see. But all that good. Feeling really good about it. How about you? Um, no, uh, the update I'll give is that we've got a lot of fun studio upgrades that are going to be happening. Uh, we've already started some of them. We've got a lot of oh, projects awesome. lined up. Yeah, it's going gonna, it's gonna to look a little different uh, behind me on this set uh, specifically, even in front of me on this set. So uh, it's going to be a, a lot of fun. A little updated look for, uh, for our shows. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. And, you know, Paul, I'm still what I'm going to start doing now is um, somebody who's in the Rhode Island area or in the Boston area. Uh, I'm going to try to maybe look for a couple workshops up that way. Yeah. And then I can come and actually get some time in the studio and, awesome. uh, and finally make my appearance uh, in the in the studio and spend some time with you guys there. So it's awesome. Well, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. And then one of these days um, I'll get my background fixed. I'll try to match it. You know, uh, let's see what you come up with and I'll see if I can do something similar. I'm kidding. I can't be as awesome as you, but yes, I'll try. You- you know what? It, it doesn't take. It's a little bit of carpentry. It's not even really. It's not even really carpentry, Michael. It's just. At least you're not calling it animal husbandry, because that, yeah. that that would keep me out of the studio for a while. It's maybe a level above a uh, house hacking. Oh, all right. So, then. Yeah, it's, well, it's, uh, yeah, it's it's totally doable. We did some. Well, now I'm excited. All right, I got to see how it goes. It's exciting. It's exciting. All right. Well, thank you everyone for watching this episode of Startup Security Weekly. See everyone next time. <laughs>